Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I am very excited about today because it's Tuesday. And Tuesdays are always a great day because we get to start with Rob Bluey, the executive editor of the Daily Signal. Then I'm going to talk to uh, Scarlett Hiltabeitel. She's written her second book called He Numbered the Pores on My Face, Hottie Lists, Clogged Pores, Eating Disorders, and Freedom from It All. That's all in hour one. Hour two is going to be Dr. Mark Muska, so get your questions ready. You can start texting them over to me, 877-933-2484. Solid hour with Ask the Professor. It's going to be great. We'll take 60 seconds and bring on Rob. It's never been easier to listen to Faith Radio. One way is on an Amazon Alexa or Echo device. To get started, say, Enable Faith Radio. Now, when it's enabled, say, Play Faith Radio. That's it. You can now enjoy the live stream. You can also access previous programs and podcasts. Enjoy Faith Radio at home, work, or anywhere there's an Alexa or Echo device. Learn more at MyFaithRadio.com. Masks everywhere. Some are cute. Some are creepy. And some are confusing. Was that Daddy? Or someone dressed up like Daddy? It's easy to not let anyone else see who you really are. You can even try that with God. But as you listen to Faith Radio, we hope you can remove the mask and come to Him just as you are. And the good news is, there's no trick involved. He loves you no matter what. Connecting Faith to Life, Faith Radio. Happy Tuesday. Always glad to talk to Rob Bluey, executive editor of The Daily Signal. And uh, Rob recently just um, was uh, unavailable last week because he was uh, at the doctor's because he's got a new six-week-old baby and it was time to check up. Uh, Little Savannah Grace was born into the Bluey family. And boy, does that make me happy. Rob, welcome to the show, Dad. Uh, Thank you, Bill. (laughs) It's a great joy to to be a father. And uh, we have two older boys and now a baby girl. So we have two brothers who are always looking out for this little girl already. And uh, yes, it's a true joy to have her. And are they excited about little sis? They are. You know, at first I think they were nervous, a little jealous, but uh, <laughs> but we've uh, we've made sure to spend uh, spend lots of quality time with them as well. So yes, they uh, they enjoy holding her and uh, and talking to her, and of course, you know, being so uh, being so new, especially my 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 younger son uh, who's seven. You know, it's uh, it's a totally different experience for him because uh, he's never had anyone younger than him in the family. So he's yeah. uh, he's seeing what it's like. And let me do the math. It sounds like if you've got a son who's seven, you haven't had a baby in the house for a while. 
That's right. It's uh, it's taken some adjustments, and uh, <laughs> we'll uh, we'll be continue to adjust because you know it's uh, it only gets more interesting from here as they start to to crawl and then walk, and then you have to baby-proof the house, and with two older brothers who, you know, tend to leave things lying around, uh, it'll be certainly yeah. interesting to see how it goes. Good point. Well, I appreciate you telling our listeners about it because our listeners love you and they love hearing more about you and your family. So, I appreciate that little uh, uh, report on Savannah Grace. That's exciting. Okay, let's find out what's going on in your neck of the woods. Uh, What's the official word on the impeachment? What's actually going on? Yeah, well, so Congress was out of town for the last two weeks, and uh, they're back today, and that means that uh, it's uh, gearing up again. I mean, they were doing things while they were still away, but to have all the members back in town, this is when certainly the activity picks up. You have all but a handful of House Democrats now who are on the record supporting impeachment, so it certainly seems pretty clear that at some point later this year or maybe early next year, you will have a vote uh, to impeach President Trump. I'm, I'm, you know, at this point, assuming it's going to be a party-line vote based on what we see. Uh, publicly stated in the news media. Uh, there's there's certainly not a lot of clamoring among Republicans to go down this road, but uh, but certainly Democrats feel that it's, you know, within their prerogative to in- continue to investigate the president. They're going to have uh, more people testify this week. There's documents due almost every day this week. And so you can expect that this is going to be a dominant story coming out of Washington for, uh, you know, the, the coming months. I mean, really, it's going to, uh, I think, suck any oxygen out of the room for trying to get anything done on substantive policy issues. Mm-hmm. Although, there, you know, it continues to be some murmurs about uh, maybe passing a trade deal here or, or trying to tackle, uh, you know, a few judges uh, in the Senate side of the aisle. So we'll see, Bill. It uh, makes things interesting, that's for sure. Yeah, Rob, what what are we calling the impeachable offense? What are well, we understanding to de- it to be? <laughs> well, it's hard to define. I mean, you remember uh, Al Green, who's one of the uh, Democratic congressmen who's been leading the push almost since President Trump was elected, uh, you know, has famously said that uh, they don't really need to define uh, high crime <laughs> or misdemeanor. Uh, and, and also, uh, you know, I think it would be valuable, uh, you know, to talk for a minute about what that term exactly means, high crimes and misdemeanors. Mm-hmm. Back when the Constitution was written, the, the term misdemeanor basically meant misdeeds. So we think of a misdemeanor today very much in the legal sense. Uh, you're charged with a, a misdemeanor or a felony, right? Uh, but in, in that time, a misdemeanor uh, was interpreted to mean misdeeds. So uh, by any by any stretch of the imagination, Bill, I'm sure you and I have plenty of misdeeds that we've uh, we've we've had in our life, mistakes that we've made, and and I, I don't suspect that uh, this White House uh, has uh, has been error proof. I mean, they everybody every human being is flawed in some way or another, and we don't live perfect lives. But I think that your the question you raise is has the president done anything that really rises to the level that we would deem worthy of impeachment, and and this is where I think you ha- see stark divisions among uh, Republicans and Democrats, conservatives and liberals in this country, and why uh, there's uh, such a stark contrast in those polls, because Democrats, it appear, uh, would just like to hold the president uh, accountable because they see it as a political victory over him, uh, whereas uh, Republicans, uh, you know, look at things like the economy, uh, the success that we're having uh, in so many sectors of, uh, of of the world, and say, why on earth would you uh, go down this road when things seem to be so in- going so well in America? Yeah, now we've got a, a big uh, Democratic debate tonight, and it's interesting that the Hunter Biden news came uh, available today. I don't know how that is going to affect tonight's debate, but he did seem to say that, uh, you know, should he have been on the board? And he thought, well, I seem to know about as much as anybody else on the board. 
not saying that he was very well versed in in uh, in energy, uh, but he seemed to think that it you know it didn't really require much knowledge to be on the board. Yeah, it's uh, it's really interesting. Uh, interesting media strategy, by the way, to uh, to put him out there and uh, and let him do that interview. I believe it was with ABC News, uh, because you know on the on the one hand you think that well this is President Trump's getting exactly what he wants. I mean he wants the attention to be on Hunter Biden and his connections, and uh, and by putting Hunter Biden out there and doing interviews, it only keeps the story alive even longer. Um, it raises, I think, some questions probably in people's minds about, uh, you know, what is true, what's not true. I mean, we have a lot of skeptical voters out there, rightfully so, because uh, as we know, there's not a lot of trust in the media either. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out at the t- debate tonight. Bill, you know, we, we've had so many of these conversations, and, you know, my focus is, is always on the policy issues and hoping that we can get back and having some substantive debates to solve the, the problems that I think confront this country. And, uh, you know, this is one of those things where I think the media uh, loves to just, uh, you know, give as much attention as possible to a story like impeachment. But when you look at it in the grand scheme of things, I don't necessarily know that it's the top issue on the minds of those voters in Iowa or New Hampshire or some of those people who are going to be making early decisions in South Carolina. You know, they uh, they are concerned about the pocketbook issues, the issues that affect their families. And so this story is going to continue to play out for sure. Uh, but I think there probably is a little bit of a disconnect there between uh, those who, who want to keep it alive and, and others who may uh, prefer to move on and just talk about other things. Mm-hmm. Rob, what about the lineup for tonight on the debate stage? Uh, Bernie Sanders, after that heart uh, operation, now he's going to be on his feet standing for three hours. And I mean, I just I I feel a little bit sorry for him. I mean, that it's kind of a big deal he's been through lately. And um, I certainly hope he doesn't put himself back in jeopardy going back on a campaign trail. Yeah, you're, so you're absolutely right about that. I mean, it's going to be a, a busy, a busy night uh, here. There's going to be uh, uh, 12 candidates on the stage. So you, instead of splitting it up into two nights, you will have everybody there uh, for the same uh, same night. I think it's uh, probably the largest. I believe I, I, I saw that it's the largest. Republicans only had a max of 11, I think, on stage at any one point. So, yeah, um, <laughs> Certainly probably will be uh, prime, you know, not exactly uh, an opportunity for a lot of people to get words in because of the the number of people on stage. But, yeah, whether you're uh, Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren or, uh, you know, somebody else, uh, there's going to be uh, people watching and probably making decisions. We're getting to that point now where the field is, is clearly narrowing. Uh, there's uh, no doubt about that. Uh, you saw uh, after the last round of debates, uh, people starting to drop out because they just didn't see themselves picking up the momentum. So these are key moments, uh, particularly in uh, in a primary where uh, the fundraising that you, you have after the debate, the instant polls that you see, uh, those viral moments, those are all types of things that uh, take the temperature of where you stand in the race. And for somebody like a Bernie Sanders, who's had a rough couple of weeks here recovering, and our prayers go out to him and hope he, uh, you know, has a, has a swift recovery here, uh, you do have to feel for him. I mean, this is uh, this is tough uh, for somebody who's uh, who's that old. Mm-hmm. Rob, any uh, surprises that could jump into the race? Michael Bloomberg, Hillary Clinton, Michelle Obama, anything out there that you think is uh, possible? Well, boy, we still continue to hear of more and more names. I mean, this is uh, this is quite something. I. I uh... <laughs> and you know, particularly surprised because it's been such a large field as it was uh, to hear uh, the more people might be interested. And yes, uh, you have a situation where Michael Bloomberg is now, uh, you know, said he he might be reconsidering it after taking himself out. 
of the running. Uh, there's a new poll on, on New Hampshire that puts Michelle Obama at number one. And of course, you have people, uh, including Hillary Clinton herself, who have dropped some hints or has been in the news media uh, more frequently. I think that, you know, look, anyone who gets in the race now is going to be starting from a position behind everybody else uh, from a financial standpoint, unless you perhaps can self-fund yourself or you have such a, a great network of supporters. And in all three cases, uh, you know, that might be um, that might be the case. Um, so we shall continue to keep an eye on it. I uh, I, these things start so early now, Bill. I mean, you, you, you think about it. We've, we basically spent the entire year of 2019 with people getting in the race. It uh, mm. started quickly at the beginning of the year. And so to do so at the end of the year makes it seem like they're a little bit behind the curve. Yeah, true. Rob Blue is my guest. He is the executive editor of The Daily Signal. Go to dailysignal.com. We'll take a short break, and we'll be right back with Rob. show rob blue is my guest i always speak to rob on tuesdays makes my tuesday very happy he's the executive editor of the daily signal you can go to dailysignal.com all right rob there's blackouts in california which and i have to say uh, if california is having power outages which means people have to use gas run generators to charge up their teslas i don't know that seems kind of ironic doesn't it it does. I mean, here you have the richest state in the nation, which, you know, always uh, lauds itself as this progressive bastion of of success. And, uh, yeah, the, the news that we, we saw last week uh, certainly painted a, a starkly different picture uh, with those blackouts. Now, understood that, uh, you know, it was done for a reason to prevent the forest fires, and I think uh, certainly a noble reason for, for why you'd want to cut the power. But you have to wonder what the underlying problems are here. How do we get to a point where we would have to take such a drastic measure like this uh, to prevent that. And I think part of it comes down to poor forest management, but also I think it's the underlying system that is pervasive in California. I mean, there's one way of doing things. Uh, conservative ideas have largely been shut out for a, a generation now. And, you know, it's just remarkable to, to think that, uh, you know, it's having this kind of an impact where it's uh, impacting people's lives in such a, a negative way that they just can't carry out their, their normal course of activities, whether it is charging a Tesla or whether it's cooking dinner, uh, certainly difficult to do so in the dark when you have no power. You look at some of the uh, problems that San Francisco is having, and it does almost border on on almost third world sort of conditions when you look at the number of people living homelessly. And, you know, I don't understand why the, the answer to drug addiction is a, a place where you can go and safely inject. I mean, we've got a lot of problems that we're, we're not addressing um, correctly, in my opinion. Yeah, that's that's very true. I mean, it's uh, it's one of those things where, it, 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 look, we've turned so much of this over to the state and and to the government to try to solve these problems that I think we've lost sight of some of those community institution churches, faith-based groups that largely before the government stepped in to to try to do it all. Uh, we relied on those those organizations, or we relied on families uh, first and foremost uh, to help. And yeah, I think that uh, it's very sad uh, to think that uh, those civil society groups have been pushed out, 
or, um, you know, there are the state has come in and just said that it prefers to do things. And we've seen the state fail. And California is a, another prime example of that, San Francisco being a, a leading city where this is a problem. And so homelessness, drug problems, all of these things that are happening in such an area of great wealth is even more of a stark contrast. So we have to figure this out. I mean, there, there, there needs to be a better way to do things. I think that the politicians in California have, have largely failed to come up with the solutions. And as I said before, I, I think that uh, when you only have a one, basically a state that's dominated by one-party rule, uh, you, you don't necessarily get the diversity of ideas and opinions that can, you know, help solve some of these challenges. And I think it's worthwhile to take a step back sometimes and figure out how to do it. Mm-hmm. Rob, tell us about the uh, win for religious liberty at the University of Iowa. Yeah, this was, uh, this was a, a big case, an interesting case. So a, a group there on campus, InterVarsity, uh, was prohibited essentially from operating under the values that uh, the, it as an organization uh, believes in. <laughs> uh, anybody could join the group. Uh, you know, think about this. Uh, you, you have student groups at college campuses all over this country. And usually those, those groups are organized. And one of the, what's the, one of the first things you do? You create a mission statement or a set of values which you believe in, whether you're the concert bureau or whether you're, you know, the student government or whether you're a faith-based organization like this one, uh, you certainly want people in leadership roles who believe in that mission. Otherwise, you know, you probably wouldn't put them in that role. And what the university did in this case was it said that this this group, which was a faith-based group, couldn't do that. I mean, it, it couldn't operate with the, the value and the mission statement that it had, and it needed to uh, to abandon that and put in uh, essentially leaders who, who didn't necessarily subscribe to that. Well, a court came down and said, that's not how it works. Uh, the university was arbitrarily enforcing this rule. It wasn't doing this across the board. It was basically discriminating against this religious organization. And I think uh, it's another example of how sometimes uh, maybe we take these things for granted. We have to remember that there are certain people out there who who simply don't like people who have a religious faith and will faith and will do anything that they can uh, to uh, to try to t- take that away from them. And so this group suffered the consequences. But fortunately, it seems to be bouncing back now that the court ruled in its favor. Mm-hmm. Now, there's been a couple of big wins for religious liberty. Is the tide starting to turn? Are we starting to um, be? Should we be encouraged? Well, the Daily Signal was at the Values Voter Summit over the weekend, and we heard a lot of these examples. And uh, my colleague Fred Lucas covered the story for for us. Uh, your listeners can can check out some of the other examples there. But you know, they happen from from schools, like we were just talking about, even to the U.S. military, which would you which you would think would most likely probably be uh, protecting those um, those values that that we hold so dear. And in one case, you know, it often uh, seems that these chaplains are put in a situation where they don't believe in same sex marriage. Marriage and they're being forced uh, to do things that uh, they go against their conscience and their religious faith. And uh, there was an individual who, who refused to sign a certificate. Uh, he had somebody else do it. Um, and then, you know, he suffered the consequences uh, f- for not taking that action. So, uh, again, I, I think that it's important to litigate these things. That should always be the last resort, hopefully. But uh, in, in certain cases, it seems that the courts uh, do back up uh, this First Amendment right, uh, this, this right that we hold so dear in this country. And so uh, let, you know, let's keep bringing these stories to light. I think that's one of the best ways that we can, can shine attention on them and make sure that people understand uh, what, what you know, this, this truly means uh, to live in a society where we value this freedom. Mm-hmm. Rob, Senator-elect Katrina Jackson, is a Democrat. She's also pro-life. I didn't know that you could have those two together. 
Yeah, it's a, a rarity, but apparently, at least according to her interview with the Daily Signal, it uh, happens a lot more frequently in Louisiana, where she said uh, not only are Democrats increasingly pro-life, but also the African-American community, uh, because they believe in traditional American values, and one of those is certainly the right to life. And, you know, I, listening to this interview, it really struck me that for her, it's not just about uh, whether or not the baby should be born. Um, it's really about, uh, you know, as she described it, uh, being pro-life throughout your entire life, so helping others in times of need. So when a, when a mother does give birth uh, to, to a baby and might not have the means or the resources to take care of it, others stepping in to help. And I think that that's such an important message. And to hear her say it and come from a different perspective as a Democrat uh, certainly is something that we wanted to, to feature because you, you do see the, the opposite happening in Washington. There's, a, there's basically one pro-life Democrat in the U.S. House of Representatives today. There's none in the, in the Senate. His name is Dan Lipinski. Uh, and I think if we're up to the most national Democrats, he wouldn't be there. And so it's important to give people like that uh, an opportunity to tell their side of the story and, and still reach out to those who, you know, believe and share those values. Mm-hmm. So, Rob, we just have about a minute left. Anything else on your desk that you're interested in today? Well, you know, we're going to uh, we're getting ready for a big event next Tuesday, Bill. So I, I wanted to give you a little bit of a preview oh, on please. that. Uh, this is going to be the first ever Heritage Honors Gala in Washington, and uh, we're excited because we're going to not only be able to honor a, a special guest who's attending, but we're going to have uh, Vice President Mike Pence in attendance. We're going to have. Dean Kane of uh, the Superman fame uh, there to MC the event, and it's the first time we've done anything like this. I've been at the Heritage Foundation for 12 years, been working at the Daily Signal for the last five, and I can tell you, uh, we're, we've sold out the event. It's going to be absolutely tremendous, and I look forward to giving you an update on it uh, when we talk next time. I can't wait. Rob, have a great week, and I'll be excited to hear uh, about the event next time we chat. Thanks, Bill. Yep, you bet. Rob Louie's been my guest, executive editor of The Daily Signal. Go to dailysignal.com. A lot of the stories we talked about today are there at the website. We'll take a short break and be back with lots more. It's encouragement and hope for your daily journey. Faith Radio. It brings a balance into uh, my wife's and my lives that uh, other people, unfortunately, are missing. So we like to share with others and tell them to get in there and listen to something good for a change. We're connecting faith and life together. Faith Radio. Thanks again to Rob Bluey. Sure enjoy him every Tuesday. I hope you do as well. Scarlet Hiltabital is coming up next. Not to mention it's just a fun name to say, Scarlet Hiltabital. And we have a full hour with Dr. Mark Muska. So let us know what your questions are. Ask the professor any question you have about the Bible, maybe something you've struggled with for a day, a week, a month, or 10 years. Let us know. 877-933-2484. Send the text, 877-933-2484. We'll be back in a little bit.
on Faith Radio. to have back on the show Scarlett Hiltabital. She's an author, and her first book was Afraid of All all the Things. She also writes a regular column for Parent Life magazine, loves speaking to women around the country, and has got a new book, which I'm holding. He numbered the pores on my face. The last time I spoke to Scarlett, she was living sort of in the woods in Nashville, and she was doing anything she could to get away from deer ticks. I think you've done that, haven't you? (laughs) Actually, I'm still working on that bill. I'm still, working on, I'm still out here in the wilderness. I thought you had been out of there by now. How can you live no, with those we, critters out there? Listen, it's very beautiful, but we found out about some capital gains tax thing, so we're <laughs> we're waiting. We're waiting till the spring. Yeah, and how's your husband and family? They're doing great. Thanks for asking. Yeah, yeah, and congratulations on your new book. Everything you write entertains me, and it's yet it's Aww. it's got such. Uh, Great, uh, great content, and you bring it right to the cross, and it's awesome. Thank you so much. I can just stop this interview and just say, go buy this book, and we just be done. Yay. But I like talking to you, so let's <laughs> <Yeah>. keep going. <laughs> Good. So, first of all, I want to just read the whole title. He numbered the pores on my face, Hotties Lists, Clogged Pores, Eating Disorders, and Freedom from All of It, which I love. And when you were <laughs> growing up, you came up with a Hotties List, didn't you? Cute boys? I did. I I had a hottie list. It was, yeah, I remember the names that were on it, actually. And <laughs> it had a ranking. It was like cuteness was the first thing I looked for. And then hotness and then like how likely they were to fall in love with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. My dad found it. That's what that story is. It's in the first chapter. I was very humiliated because I was the firstborn. So I didn't have a big sister or brother. I thought it was like a shameful thing that I liked boys. I was a late bloomer. And so I think I was in like eighth grade and I just, my parents thought I wanted nothing to do with boys. And I had this hidden hotties list. And um, yeah, my dad found it when he was changing the sheets, which my mom says is a funny part of the story. But I was like, I don't think people don't laugh when I say that because it's 2019. (laughs) But, But like my dad was the one who changed the sheets and did the laundry. And um, I came home from school and he said, Scarlett, I was changing your sheets. And he didn't even finish his sentence. And I just started sobbing, screaming, <laughs> so humiliated. Yeah. Yeah. Scarlett, why did you feel so much shame about the the hottie list? I don't know. I don't know, yeah. Bill. What did I say in the book? I don't know. Let me see. Um, I think. You said that Jesus, Jesus has already put my name on the holy list in the book of life. So you were <laughs> sort of that. already on the good list, the holy list. That was that was great. I was. Yeah, thank you. I was already on the holy list. Um, yeah, at that point, I had I became a Christian that year, actually, the year of the hottie list. Um, but I didn't have a lot of experience walking with Jesus yet, so I put a lot of stock into this hottie list. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really wanted the hotties to like me. And um, why was I so ashamed? I don't know. I I don't know. <laughs> what about what about the other the other girls, the other attractive girls? What did you think about them? Um, what did I think about them? I think I write a lot about them too. I, know you I do. was, yeah, I was very jealous of this girl who I think I call Kate, um, <laughs> <laughs> because her mom was a professional hairstylist, which is very unfair when you're in high school, middle yeah. school. Um, 
yeah, her hair was really beautiful. And I actually looked her up on Instagram the other day and she still looks like a supermodel. So <laughs> yeah, I was jealous. Well, how can you compete hard. with that when, you know, she's got, you know, a mom with a hairstylist. So she's coming to school with great hair. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and you had, you yeah. had frizzy hair, didn't you? So there were parts of your hair you wanted to do differently, but what are you going to do? You can't change it. I did. You know, what's funny is that when I wrote the book, I have great editor, Michelle Burke. And, um, one of the notes she gave me, which was really good, um, because I needed to clarify, she said at some point she was like, Scarlett, in some parts of this book, you're like the outcast with frizzy hair, but then other parts, you're cocky cheerleader. So like, which were you? Because I wasn't clear that I was both and you know, like how quickly that would change back and forth. But I was like, Michelle, I see what you're saying. Um, that's because I was definitely both <laughs> because, um, you know, I had my, I think we all have these stories, but I had my years of feeling like an outcast and longing for these things like beauty and boys to love me. And I thought that would fulfill me. And then I got older and then I got the boyfriend and I felt more beautiful. And then I realized that also didn't fulfill me. So that's kind of the point of the whole book is Jesus identity in Christ is the only kind of identity that will fulfill you. It's what we were made for. And I hope that, um, I can help my daughter see that way before I did. <laughs> yeah. And you're never going to know who you really are until you know who you are in Christ. Exactly. Yeah. So as you were forming your identity, I mean, you had a cool upbringing, you had a cool set of parents. So you were, had a lot of interesting things going on in your life. So that helped on some level, didn't it? Well, so yeah. So my mom, you know, you know, you didn't, I think you said it last time we talked my mom was an actress on Saturday night, Saturday night live. My dad was a magician fire eater and my adoptive dad, um, who kind of took over as my dad, um, when I was eight was on the SWAT team and then later a helicopter pilot. So there was a whole lot of interesting things going on. And it's so funny how we always want what we don't have, because all I wanted was like a stable. <laughs> I was just like, I'm going to grow. I was like, I'm going to grow up and be like the most stable I'm, you know, career. I just kind of rebelled by trying to be as normal as possible <laughs> in those teen years. Definitely. I dated this guy who, you know, he was just the most, um, stable, standard, non-creative type you could imagine. And, um, yeah, it took me years to kind of just realize just, I don't know. It took me, yes. Like you said, it took me years to figure out that I could root my identity in Christ, that I didn't have to look around and see all these options and feel overwhelmed by them. Um, because you know, I, now <laughs> the older I get, it's so cliche. I call my mom and I'm like, I'm you now. I am completely, <laughs> it's, it's happened. It's happening. Yeah. I am you. Oh, that's so funny, Scarlett. So isn't it interesting when you're, when you're going through that, those years in high school, trying to form your identity and you're, you're, you like boys and, and you want to be pretty and you want to be recognized and noticed and loved and cared for. And, and then you look at some of the other girls, isn't that almost a little bit how we look at our faith? Don't we sort of compete with other Christians wishing we sort of had the perfect relationship with God, almost like they do? Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. The comparison, comparison thing is really hard. And I've talked about this book with a few people and it's funny, like sometimes people maybe who, who are asking me questions, haven't read it. And they think I might, you know, actually know things about teenagers, <laughs> which I really don't, I don't have teenagers. I'm not an expert. And I tell them that, you know, this is kind of like my other book. My other book was for adults afraid of all the things, but it's very memoir like, and I'm just trying to, um, man, I just lost my train of thought. I was going to say, I'm just that's trying I, to... Um, that's what I like about what, you. Oh, gosh. I know I did this last time. Wait, what did you say? And then I'll remember. I'm well, sorry. You're, no, you're talking about how you don't, 
you don't have teenagers, so you can't be an expert oh, or pretend to be. Yeah, comparing. You were asking about comparison with yes. Christianity. Yes. Yes. Um, so I was just going to say that people have asked um, about what I think about, you know, teenagers today and everything they deal with. And I feel like I have to preface it with saying I don't have experience. However, um, I was a teenager, but I was a teenager way before social media where you can see Kate with her perfect hair 24 seven rather than eight hours a day at school, you know? Um, so I think that that goes for the teen, the things that seem silly to us as adults, but I got to tell you, writing this book, I realized these things aren't really silly. Like I'm 33 and I pretty much, if I'm not looking at the cross, I pretty much look to these same things, whether it's comparing my hair or comparing my Christianity or comparing my work or whatever it is. Um, I think that today it's harder probably than it was back before we could all spy on each other all the time. Totally. Yeah. So in chapter four, you talk about how to hide a female Adam's apple for 12 years. That makes me laugh yeah. out loud. Oh, I'm so glad. You know, I'm finally just exposing it to the world. I love it. Not hiding it anymore. Yeah. It's there. I don't, I don't know why, but it's there. <laughs> <laughs> I've had children. I know I'm, I'm a woman, so I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, so it all works. But, yeah, uh, you know, when we have things about our bodies that we are, you know, we don't like or we'd like different or, um, again, we're focusing on on what we're, what we're missing or what we don't have. And shouldn't we be putting all our focus on the gratitude we should have that God has given us what we have versus what we don't have? Definitely. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, I'm down a rabbit hole right now myself. I don't even know where I'm going with this question. I agree. Not with that. I agree with what you just said. No, thank you. <laughs> I don't even know what you agree to, but I love it. Me either. Yeah. We agree. All right. Maybe I should regroup. Let me take a little break. Scarlett Hiltabitle is my guest. The book we're chatting about is He Numbered the Pores on My Face. I'll take uh, 90 seconds and be right back. I am so glad to be talking once again to Scarlett Hiltabitle. She's written a couple of books, and I'm glad that I had a chance to read both of them. The one I have in my hand is called He Numbered the Pores on My Face. And I'm just uh, enjoying this book uh, tremendously. If you are thinking about your identity and if you've got kids and you've got teenagers, uh, you are going to want to get your hands on this book. And you're going to want to just read it because it's delightful. It doesn't even matter if you don't have kids. You're going to want to get it and read it. Um, Scarlett, I know that you have got young kids and you are um, training them up in the way of the Lord and um, you are preparing them for this next phase of life. They're growing up, they're, uh, they're immigrants to this, um, they're natives to this social media thing. They've been probably looking at Instagram since they've been, since they could pick up a phone uh, and comparing themselves. And so how do you, how do you manage all that? Yeah. Well, they're, they're a little too young to like have their own Instagram. So my oldest is eight. Okay. They know it exists. They, now I do ask permission when I'm going to, um, 
when I want to post something of them, especially my oldest, because she's, you know, to that age now. But um, yeah, I mean, yeah, so they don't really have experience uh, comparing themselves on Instagram quite yet. But um, they do definitely notice looks already. And I think I wrote about um, my middle daughter who we adopted from China. She was born without any ears. And um, she's actually surgically getting ears in the next year, which is pretty crazy. I did not even know that was possible. Mm -hmm. But um, she's getting ears. But I think I wrote about how young it started. And I started noticing um, how that was already important to them. You know, of course, with my daughter without ears, she notices, she is very conscious of her ears. And, you know, my other two daughters are biological. They don't have any special needs, but you know, even the fact that my youngest has these bright blue eyes when she was a baby, people would comment on them. My older daughter has brown hair and brown eyes like me, and she is stunningly gorgeous, but I could already see the insecurity forming when people would compliment her sister's blue eyes. And, you know, I'd remember being a teenager and wishing I looked like my beautiful, famous mother who had blonde hair and blue eyes, and I didn't. And it's just Instagram or not, um, I think it's a real every girl, every woman thing. Um, probably every man. I don't know, Bill. What about, I don't know if, if men, it's it's probably not as intense. But um, yeah, I pray that they find their their self-worth in God's word and not by looking around. It's really hard, though. Yeah. What is, uh, Scarlett, what, how do you encourage other parents who do have teens just to remind them of this truth to their daughters that they are they are beautiful in Christ and Jesus loves them and how do you do that well you know my parents were teaching me the truth when I was when I was a kid and teenager and um, I mean it stuck I believe it but I struggled to believe it at the that teenage and those teenage years I think you know teenagers even the ones who try to follow all the rules like me um, tend to not listen to their parents at that age. So um, I do hope that this book is kind of, you know, if a teenage girl picks it up, that it's another voice, you know, echoing what hopefully her parents are teaching her. But um, I'd say my answer to that question is we have to live what we believe as adults. Um, You know, we can tell our kids the truth of the gospel all day long, but if we are living for the things of this world, they're going to know it more than anybody because they live with us, you know? So I, I'm constantly asking the Lord to help me not, you know, put all my time and energy into things that are not eternal because I want my daughters to see their mom living this out because I think that that is the best teacher. And I don't want that just for that reason. Of course, I want to know God because he's God and he loves me and that's the greatest thing there is. And I know that that's the only way I'll be fulfilled. So, you know, again, not a teenage expert, but that's what I'm aiming for. Mm-hmm. Scarlett, do you think uh, Christians are too hung up being too serious? Do you think there's um, not enough laughing going on? I am always for more laughter. I am too. I'm a huge fan. The more the better. Yes. You know, Jesus says in this world you'll have tribulation, but be of good mm-hmm. cheer. I've overcome the world. I go, are we characterized as people of good cheer? Are we showing that to other people? Man, seriously, you know, my grandma, I hope I didn't say this on your show before, because I feel like she, this prayer of hers hit me maybe, maybe around the time I was talking to you, but she's 86 and I love listening to her prayers. And she prayed the other day, um, or I guess a few months ago that she, that we would, that people would know us by our joy and our peace as Christians. And it just was, it touched me because she's in this phase of life where 
you know, she's just home. She might see the mailman. She'll see a doctor in a doctor's office, but she's not in the same stage as life in the same stage as I am and my husband, you know, going out every day into the world. And I thought that is so beautiful. Like I, that it's so true what you said, like we should be the most joyful people in the world. That doesn't mean we're always going to be happy, but yeah, (laughs) joy, laughter, peace. We can have that because of Jesus. So, so are you 33 or 32? I think I'm 33. 33. So now that you're, yeah, now that you're 33, you've written two books. I'll call my mom and check. Yeah, Yeah. go ahead. Uh, Now now that you're 33 with two books, now what would you tell your 14-year-old self? And if you don't like that question, we can move on. No, no, I like that question. Oh, good. Um, I would tell my 14-year-old self, okay, I would tell my 14-year-old self that the Bible is not just this thing that good people read. (laughs) I would tell my 14-year-old self, nobody is good. Um, These words are living and active, and Jesus is in that book. And so don't be scared of it, and don't just read it because you're trying to earn something. Read it because you're loved by the person who's alive in that book. That's beautiful. I like that a lot. So um, tell me again, just because I'm so curious, when, how old were you when you came to faith? Were you, were you that 14? I was 14, but, but again, I had, I had a very faulty kind of faith. And that's kind of what inspired my first book, Afraid of All the Things, um, was just when it clicked for me that I could rest in what Jesus had done and have that joy and cheer and peace that we're talking about. Um, that took a lot longer to click. So when I was 14, I was watching this play about women on death row um, who were witnessing to each other and coming to Christ. And it touched me because I thought, oh, wow, I'm trying to be perfect. And they've broken the most serious rules and Jesus loves them. And I gave my life to Christ, started reading the Bible, but probably immediately switched over to living by works, which is the opposite of our faith. You know, (laughs) our faith is about Jesus's works, not ours. And I was very anxious and very striving to be perfect for years and years until, um, my big eating disorder, which I write a ton about in this book. Um, I think it's chapter three and it's a really long story, but God healed me of that. I was diso. He kept leading me to this verse in his word about confessing and receiving mercy. And I wouldn't confess because I was too proud. And then when I finally confessed, he healed me and I've never struggled with that again for 11 years. So that's really cool. Um, but that was kind of the moment when it, when grace kind of clicked for me. And I guess I was 21, 22. Um, yeah. Yeah. Tell me about the piano recital. You'll never get back. Ooh, you want me to cry? Well, <laughs> um, we're getting close yeah, to the end sad. of our time. So if you cry, you can get yeah. off. Let's go out in tears. Um, yeah. So during that eating disorder time, I was anorexic bulimic. I didn't talk about this or write about this until last year because I kind of had this deal with God where I was like, God, I don't want to talk about this for 10 years because I don't want people to be cynical and think, well, did God really heal her? And that was, of course, because I have struggled with cynicism. Um, And then 10 years passed and I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to share this now. And I I had no idea I'd be doing interviews and writing books and stuff. So um, yeah, I was very, very, very anorexic and bulimic. And it was this big shameful secret because I married really young. Um, I married a pastor. I was working at a church and I just thought nobody can know this. And of course I didn't want to be those things. I found my way to them and got stuck like an addiction kind of thing. Um, and so during that time, my little sister had a piano recital and she won the gold medal. And I just remember 
knowing that the recital was happening and not going because I was doing my dysfunction and I was too ashamed to like be a person. I was just like, I think I was in my first apartment at that point. I was probably 19 or 20. Um, and I was just alone and crying and desperate and feeling like I was going to die. And it was just very close to my rock bottom. That moment was not my rock bottom, but that was kind of like, I think in the book, I'm talking about the consequences of um, living with unrepentant sin or, you know, disobeying God's word when he's calling us to confess or do whatever, um, you know, when the Holy Spirit's leading us to do that and we don't. And so, you know, I have a great relationship with my sister now, but I grieve that moment and moments like it where I kind of checked out of my own life um, to chase these things that lead to death. But I'm just really thankful he healed me and saved me from that. And you were just so vulnerable in the book. You, you know, just talked about choosing yourself over her and selfishness over love. And I mean, I just, it's so transparent. It's so good. Oh, thank you so much. I hope you're not crying. You're not crying, are you? (laughs) No, I'm not. I'm good. (laughs) Yeah. So um, how, when your daughter gets her new ears, what are you going to do to celebrate? Oh, good question. She wants lots of ice cream. It's her favorite. Um, Yeah, I don't know. She wants to have her ears pierced. And I talked to the doctor and it's this really complicated thing. So I'm sure earrings will be some part of the celebration, but I can't remember (laughs) the logistics of how to do that. It's really, it's, it's a big thing, but it's also like slow, like it's three surgeries and it's one ear at a time. And they're also putting these screws that'll hold her hearing aids on. Mm -hmm. She's really excited. She'll probably have some kind of mohawk going on because they have to shave part of her head. So yeah, I don't know. I'll be thinking about it. (laughs) Yeah. I can only encourage all my listeners to go buy this book. I can't make them do it, even though I'd like to. (laughs) But if you you do get a copy of the book, you will love it. Scarlett Hiltabaitl has been my guest. And the book is called He Numbered the Pores on My Face. Scarlett, thanks for doing the show. Thank you so much, Bill. Have a great day. And and, I look forward to the next time we get a chance to talk. Me too. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. If you smile through your fears and sorrow, smile and maybe tomorrow, you'll see the sun come shining through for you. Light up your face with gladness, hide every trace of sadness, although a tear and maybe ever so near. And if you smile through your fears and sorrow, smile and maybe tomorrow you'll see that life is still worthwhile if you just thank you for listening to the faith radio network your home for relevant bible preaching family focused teaching and interactive talk shows and topics relating to your everyday life We exist to lead people to Christ and to nurture believers in their faith through Christ-centered media. We hope that you've been encouraged as you've listened and that you've found helpful resources through interviews, articles on our website, and more. To learn more, visit MyFaithRadio.com. That's MyFaithRadio.com. show. I am excited because coming up, 
On November 21st, I'm going to have a live event with me, but it's not going to be during my live slot. It's going to be in the evening here at the University of Northwestern, and it's going to feature my friend and Bible teacher and mentor, Jeff Verdorn, and we're going to talk about parables. It's going to be one wonderful Bible study. So bring your Bible and a notebook, and we're going to record it. We'll play it later, but we want you to be there. So go to MyFaithRadio.com, and you will have an uh, opportunity to uh, sign up. How easy is that to do, Rebecca? It's very easy. I've never done it. Well, all you have to do is go to MyFaithRadio.com. And so if you do that, just a couple of quick keystrokes there, up on the front or on the on the homepage, you'll see some highlighted articles. And it's right there in the top right corner. Why did Jesus speak in parables? So you click that doing that right now and you'll find the details there there's a little button that says register and all you have to do is click that and fill out your information boom you're done and that is going to be thursday night november 21st doors open at 6 30 and from 7 to 8 30 we'll have a wonderful 90 minutes of teaching with jeff Dorn. if you've heard him on my show or if you've received one of his charts you know that he is thorough and biblical and solid and very engaging so i'm going to encourage you now so you go to MyFaithRadio.com, get your name on the list, and say, yeah, I want to come. Of course, it's free. It's a free event. Uh, so we just have to make sure we, we know how many people are coming. I think we've got room for about 75, and I know it's going to fill up fast. So uh, get over there and sign up, and I'll look forward to seeing you and meeting you in person and spending uh, a night of fantastic fellowship uh, with Jeff Verdorn. So that is all again. Thursday, November 21st. Take a short break, and then when we come back, Dr. Mark Muska will be in studio for Ask the Professor. Get your questions ready. Be back in a minute. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.